for Monday, April 13th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? or a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, Hurricane Katrina, the 2010 Haiti earthquake, the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Those are the events that come to mind for Darty County Coroner Michael Fowler when he thinks about the coronavirus outbreak in Southwest Georgia. I've worked 23 major disasters in, in my time. And uh, this is just another disaster, but just a hidden disaster that you cannot see. Fowler joins me to talk about how the coronavirus has complicated his job of investigating deaths in the part of the state hit hardest by the pandemic. That's next. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Georgia's Department of Public Health says as of today, 72 people have died of COVID-19 in Doherty County. That's more than anywhere else in the state. The explosion of cases has overwhelmed the local hospital there, Phoebe Putney, and it's also stressed the office tasked with figuring out how and why people die. Michael Fowler leads that office as the Doherty County coroner, and he joins me now to start we are, we are talking, Michael, in the midst of, of a pandemic, and certainly we've been hearing a lot about the situation down in Albany, the hospitals being overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients. What have the last few weeks been like for your office specifically? Chaos. I mean, uh, so many deaths happened here in a short period of time, and, and it's uh, not, lot, just not the norm. Normally, we, we average like one case a day, and sometimes we may go three days, don't have any one, then you may have three cases or four cases in one day, but now we're having three and four cases a day, so it's, it's a whole lot busier. We assist in the Department of Public Health in order to determine that the individuals have the virus or not, and also uh, working with the hospital too. I know the medical staff is so overwhelmed at this time, so just assisting them and uh, find out the cause of mental death and also working with the community, the public, uh, to help them to deal with the grief that they're dealing with at this time, a uh, death that was not supposed to happen, I say. Walk me through a little bit what that kind of help looks like for a few of those different groups you said you're helping. So you say you're ho- helping the hospitals. What does that work look like? Well, being there to help uh, the, looking at the uh, medical records, especially if someone been there uh, less than 24 hours uh, to determine uh, what happened was the person running a fever, was they having difficult breathing, was they have a cough, trying to help determine that to see what happened prior to that person's death. Sometime going back and investigating the, the individuals that was around them, the nursing home, the, the talking with the nurses or talking with the family members prior to that death to see what happened. 
And that seems like that would overlap with some of the work that public health is doing. I mean, that that almost sounds like uh, contact tracing. <laughs> yes, uh, that we're working together hand in hand uh, in my public health department of public health and myself also and trying to keep track of because we have so many patients that's being shipped out to other hospitals, keeping track of those too that's being shipped out that day. And also the Department of Public Health have to keep up with the live and the deceased person. So someone who is a confirmed COVID-19 case, say they were at Phoebe Putney Hospital in their care, and then they, they die. Is that a situation where you would get involved, someone known to have had this disease? Well, some come to the hospital from the nursing home that have been tested. Some at home that die come to the emergency room that die that was already positive, but they might have not was in the hospital that rushed to the hospital because of some underlying health condition, then they will call me in on that. We're also seeing reports of people dying at home of this disease, in, in some cases quite suddenly. Have you seen cases like that? And is that the kind of situation that your office would be involved with? Yeah, we'd definitely be involved with someone dying at home. We go out to that family house. Like I said, to determine is it a, a natural cause? Did somebody do something to the person? Was the person on drugs? Uh, was the person having some underlying medical condition? Then, if so, then also, did was the person having a fever? Was they coughing? Things like that. Are you maybe more attuned to, say, a, a death situation where someone might have shown symptoms of this disease? And maybe do you itch to investigate that a little bit more than maybe you used to? I, I mean, I would just have to think that with this on your radar, it changes how you approach things. Yes. I mean, you you, you definitely will. If the person having difficult breathing, running a fever, 100, 104, uh, you definitely, it's a red flag, shortness of breath, things like that. So uh, those are red flags. Versus someone just had hypertension or just passed out or someone died in the sleep. So, I mean, those red flags come up and give you a sense that it may need to be tested. These are numbers that everyone is really interested in. They want to know how many people are dying of this disease. So you as a coroner, you really have a lot of, I guess, power here when it comes to figuring out what these numbers are. How do you kind of think about that that responsibility to kind of accurately report the situation around someone's death? It's very important. I think the family need to know. I think the public need to know the, the truth of why a person died. So it's very important to investigate it thoroughly and not rushing into something and not assuming they, uh, something and just do a thorough investigation. Do you feel like you have the resources to do that? I mean, you, you said earlier this was this was chaos. Yeah, I mean, I think you're doing pretty good, I think, surviving it. So, I, like I said, worked 23 major disasters in, in my time. And uh, this is just another disaster, but just a hidden disaster that you cannot see. You can uh, uh, hear a tornado may be coming, a flood going to be coming down, or a hurricane, things like that. And sometimes you can prepare some kind of way for a flood. You can get up on higher ground. Uh, you can get shelter for a storm that's coming in. But th this hidden the disaster or this hidden virus, you can't see it. You don't know who carrying it, who got, uh, who's contagious, who is not. You don't know. It, it just a hidden, uh, I said, the virus or demon in the sense that you got to deal with. And knowing that coronavirus is so infectious, does does that change how you and, and your team do your work? 
we just take universal precaution on everybody now. A few months back, we was going into the house with suits and ties on, sitting down talking with the family, shaking hand and consoling them. Now we we dress out in Tyvek suits completely, booties, gloves, and everything. We try to stay six feet away from the family members. Uh, down here in Auburn, is, we're not used to that because we was a social community that we love hugging, shaking hand. Uh, but now we have to do things a little bit different. You, you mentioned that kind of personal part of your work earlier, that you're helping people through this. What does that look like for you now? Like I said, just a totally different picture. We're not used to that. We're used to going into the home, shaking hands, or putting your arm around them, consoling them because they lost their child, they lost their husband, or, the, or things like that. But now we just have to do things a little bit different now and be more, more, more cautious. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to make someone maybe feel as comforted if you're in a Tyvek suit. Right, I know. Yes, it, it is. But I think uh, so many individuals understand now what, what the reason behind it now. We've seen reporting uh, more and more recently that this disease seems to be uh, adversely impacting African-American communities. Um, have you been seeing that in, in, in Albany? And, and what are your thoughts on that? Yes, it's, it's the same. Uh, yes, we have more Afro-American debt being affected by it than the whites. Yes. I mean, it started from two uh, funerals, uh, Afro-American funerals, large funerals that was here. And then I think it kind of went out from there. Uh, the same thing when they went left the funeral, they went home to their community. Then they, the next day they went to church, different services to different churches. So, so many people, I think, was affected during that time. The State Department of Public Health is, has started to put out some of these numbers about kind of racial makeup of, of patients. But for many patients... They, they say unknown. So there's lots of kind of noise here in the, in the data. There's, there, there's not a clear signal. Do you have any sense of, of why that might be? I mean, you're, you really seem to be on the front lines of gathering this data. I know it's Afro-American that's being affected more, more right now. I mean, the data just shows that. Most so many people are hungry for it. And they want to know the, the stacks and the gender, the race. Uh, they definitely want to know that. And uh, and I try to put it out there now, and I try to set my stacks out every every Monday and Wednesday and Friday was what we have. Talk to me just a little bit about what this has just kind of been like personally for you. I mean, the kind of conversations you've been having with people, that kind of thing. Well, I love being involved with the community. I mean, some things that we're not able to go to now because of uh, shelter in place, uh, going to Rotary, going to the chamber, now locked in. So, and being able to go around and shake hands and and go over to the school to go to the basketball games and stuff like that. Everything kind of locked down now. So um, uh, I'm more focused just on trying to get through this uh, season of our life with this uh, virus now. Uh, just different for me because I'm so used to going downtown, shaking hands, uh, speaking to people. And, and a lot of times people have questions about their loved ones, come to my office and sit down and talk. Now they're not able to just to do that. We're all kind of watching this situation um, hoping we're going to hit a peak sometime soon. I mean, what do you what do you think about for the for the future? I don't know if it's going to ever get back to where we normally was. I know it's going to be okay one day, but right now I don't know will people now be more leery to shake hands, to hug now because of what we've been through. I think we've been scarred now, so now I think we're just going to be a little bit more cautious. Uh, but eventually, I think we're going to come back. We're going to come back strong, but I think we're going to always have it in the back of our mind when someone coughs. You know, people going to look around and see who's coughing or who's sneezing or, uh, or who's shaking hands. So I think 
people gonna always be doing looking for that now. I think we just gotta keep the the families in prayer that the ones that have died and the ones that uh in the hospital on ventilators, uh every family that have been affected, I think we need to just keep pr- to keep praying for those individuals. And I say us too because all of us are going through something that we never went through in our life. So this is something different and uh, not the norm. So uh I think we just I mean keep praying. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also rate us and leave us a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If y'all haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E.